This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com slash freebooks for a free downloadable copy in PDF form of this book. Productive Christians in an Age of Guilt Manipulators, A Biblical Response to Ronald J. Sider by David Chilton, published by Institute for Christian Economics, Tyler, Texas, copyright 1981. Chapter 7, Overpopulation. The constantly growing demand for food must stop, or at least slow down dramatically. That means population control everywhere. Ronald Sider, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, page 214. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. Genesis 9, verse 7. Perhaps the greatest contrived scare in the United States today is that of the alleged horrors of population growth. The zero population growth advocates inform us that we are faced with a runaway population explosion that threatens to overwhelm the world with mass poverty and starvation. Ronald Sider wholeheartedly describes to this fraud, and at le- or at least he wants his readers to do so, and tells us that it is a fundamental problem of modern life. We have already noted his prediction of a possible war of redistribution initiated by the overpopulated countries, and his warning is repeated again and again. Vast mushrooming famines in the poorer nations may tempt their leaders to unleash wars of unprecedented size and ferocity in a desperate attempt to demand a fairer share of the earth's resources. As millions die and imminent starvation stares tens of millions in the face, a country like India will have to seek some way out. Naturally, something must be done about this. And Sider has the ever-present answer of state worship. Foreign aid is probably the only way to check the population explosion in time to avoid global disaster. But he makes a fatal blunder. In his eagerness to increase our guilt over world hunger, too much emphasis on population might imply guilt on the part of the third world, he makes a startling admission. It is simply incorrect to think that the population explosion in the poor countries is the sole or perhaps even the primary cause of widespread hunger in the world. Our ever-increasing affluence is also at the heart of the problem. Hmm. Postponing For the present and examination of that last remark, notice the slight change of tune. First, the population explosion will lead to global disaster. Second, the population increase isn't really the problem at all. Hmm. This does not mean, however, that Sider is unconcerned about overpopulation. Even though he admits again that overpopulation is not, not the main reason for continuing poverty, he makes this demand two paragraphs later. 
the right kind of aid focused especially on promoting labor-intensive agricultural development using intermediate technology will help check population growth. The right kind of action could probably avoid disaster. This is known in the language of propaganda chick as getting them coming and going. Population growth is not the problem, but if we don't stop it with foreign aid, we will have a global disaster on our hands and it will be all our fault. If you're looking for logic here, don't bother. But there is a method to this madness. Remember, Sider's fundamental ethic is plundering the rich. At all costs, no matter how convoluted the argument, he wants to be Robin Hood. The fact that foreign aid is wrong, or that it doesn't work, or that reducing the size of population will not decrease hunger, will have no effect on his premise. His a priori principle is that of statism and egalitarianism, another example of his serious confusion since you can't really have both. P.T. Bauer explains how the thinking runs... If the basis of the advocacy of aid is simply the need to reduce the allegedly wide and widening gap in incomes, then such advocacy would not be affected even if it were recognized that aid need not promote the material progress of the recipients as long as it is impoverished the donor. This is the real point. This is why arguments in favor of aid do not have to be logical or factual. They are based on a religious presupposition that the riches of some are the cause of the poverty of others. The rich must be impoverished regardless of the effect of such policy on the conditions of the poor. If legal plunder can be facilitated by using an irrelevant overpopulation argument, well and good. If the overpopulation argument gets in the way of producing guilt feelings among the rich, discard it. If the rich can be made to feel responsible for the overpopulation of others, better yet. But whatever you do, get their money. However, since Cider brought it up, it would be worthwhile to consider the population issue in order to dispose of any remaining doubts in the reader's mind. It is clear that Sider himself is not being straightforward about the problem in view of his obvious self-contradictions. But this need not deter us from dealing with it honestly and biblically ourselves. Advantages of Population Growth It should be conceded at once by anyone claiming to be a a biblical Christian that the Bible is not opposed to population growth as such. At the very beginning, God commanded man to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Genesis 1.28 And twice he repeated this command to Noah and his sons. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth abundantly, and multiply in it. Genesis Genesis 9, verse 1 and verse 7. 
God promises in the law that he will cause population growth among his obedient people. And they are clearly to regard this growth as a real blessing. Leviticus 26 verse 9, Deuteronomy 28 verse 4 and 11. Compare Psalm 127, 3 through 5, and Psalm 128, 3 and 4. On the other hand, population growth is a definite disadvantage for the ungodly since population is people, and a higher disobedient population means greater judgment. Deuteronomy 28, 18 and 19, Isaiah 49, 19 and 20, Ezekiel 5, 7 and 8. The answer to the population problems of the ungodly, however, is not population control, but population regeneration. The issue is always spiritual and ethical, not biological. The ungodly culture suffers because it is under the curse. And while we may engage in a certain amount of ad hoc treatment of symptoms, if we are serious about curing the disease, we will attack the root problems, which have to do with man's depravity and rebellion against his Lord. And if our programs to relieve the needy ultimately reinforce rebellious cultural values by applying the coercion of an omnipotent state and encouraging reliance on government to solve problems, we are merely aggravating the situation. In an obedient culture, population growth is a marked advantage. It creates pressure for economic growth and aids in that growth tremendously. A higher population means a greater demand for goods and services. Isn't that just the point, queries the ZPG advocate? How can that increased demand be satisfied? Don't forget that more people are around to do more work. Not only is there a greater demand, but there is also a greater supply of labor, a greater opportunity for division of labor, and hence more productivity. Increased population can provide a greater abundance of goods and services. And productivity, if people are willing to work and not looking for handouts, increases at a faster rate than does population itself. This is because when there is manufacturing on a large scale, the overhead is reduced. Less capital is required for each unit produced, leading to a greater amount of real wealth per person. For example, suppose there is in all the world a demand for only one pencil. How much would it cost in labor and technology to produce one pencil? The price would be astronomical. But with our present population problem, the cost of a pencil is minute. Why? Because of higher demand as a result of that higher population and because more people are available to produce more pencils. That's important also, as we can see if we turn the illustration around. Let's say everyone in the world wants pencils, but there's only one man who knows how to make pencils. Actually, as the late 
Leonard Reed of the Foundation for Economic Education loved to point out, nobody really knows how to make a pencil, but let's pretend they do. From chopping trees to packing the product, only one man produces pencils. Again, how much would one pencil cost? But with the increasing division of labor provided by growing population, prices begin to fall, and real wealth increases. And that is not the end of the story. Citing a study by MIT's Everett Hagen, Robert L. Sasson reports, Rapid population increase absolves a country from many of the consequences of errors in investment decisions, both public and private, which are bound to occur. An erroneously judged investment in a rapidly growing economy stands a good chance of being able to put to some alternative use in a more nearly stationary economy, it is much more likely to become a dead loss. In addition, population growth increases technological knowledge. James Weber cites the fact that while world population has grown at rates of up to 2% a year, the international growth of new scientific knowledge has been booming at an annual exponential rate of 7%. New and more efficient resource development can also take place as the population swells, contributing further to the real wealth of the society. There is no conceivable economic reason for population control. The advantages to growth are so vast as to be virtually innumerable, as innumerable as the product potential of a creative population. Under the providence of God, a denser population puts pressure on individuals to fulfill their callings in subduing the earth as agricultural economist Colin Clark observes. It is population growth which causes increased agricultural productivity, not productivity causing population growth. Besides the historical and geographical evidence, there is good reason why this should be so. The new methods of agriculture at any rate at first call for more effort, both physical and mental, than the old. We must recognize the fact that man, taken as a whole, is inherently lazy and conservative, and generally does not adopt productive improvements until he has, has to. As I noted above, there is no biblical economic reason for compulsory po population control. There are, however, political reasons for it, since population control is people control. And statist rebels, abandoning their rightful dominion over the earth, seek instead domination over men. Weber convincingly argues that provided the spiritual conditions for liberty exist in the first place, high population density acts to retard the centralization of political power and promotes freedom from state control. Would-be totalitarians thus have a very definite incentive to control population growth, and it is to this fact that we must now turn. Overpopulation 
and statism. The foregoing discussion is not meant to imply that there is no such thing as overpopulation. Although much of the rhetoric on the subject is long on discourse and short on evidence, a definition would help. Overpopulation in any meaningful sense must refer to a situation in which sufficient food is not available for the total number of people. Thus, overpopulation cannot refer to any absolute number of people but only to the number of people relative to the food supply. In a word, what we're talking about is famine. If you have ten people stranded on an island with only enough food to sustain one life, you've got overpopulation. Before the arrival of the Europeans, North America was overpopulated, since the Indians were not able to pro- produce sufficient food for themselves, and at most there were only a few hundred thousand of them. At the same, yet the same continent, with the same natural resources, now supports hundreds of millions of people. What made the difference? Christianity made the difference. Pagan cultures with a slave mentality routinely see themselves as at the mercy of their environment, and are thus unable to cope with their surroundings. The Europeans, with a millennium's worth of Christian heritage behind them, saw it as their duty to develop the earth, to subdue their environment, making it serve man for the glory of God. The problem lies not with, over, with population size, growth rate, or natural resources. The issue is the religious faith of the people and its outgrowth in cultural values, labor practices, and productivity. India is another example. India's sacred cows eat enough food to feed 1,200,000 people. That's not a misprint. It doesn't count the sacred cows in India's bureaucracy either. The rats at the docks consume up to 50% of India's food imports each year. If India were converted, the people would not be religiously restrained from getting rid of those cows, and a few bureaucrats as well, and there would be so much food they could export enough to feed everyone in Africa. India was a net exporter of food under British rule. One Indian leader estimates that if everyone in India worked diligently and intelligently, even if they kept the cows, two-thirds of India's food produce could be exported. The main problem is faith. What causes famine, overpopulation? Natural Natural disasters play a very small part in famine and even that would be extensively mitigated were it not for the other causes. The most significant causes of famine are number one, war, number two, the prevention of cultivation or the willful destruction of crops, number three, defective agriculture caused by communistic control of land, four, governmental interference by regulation or taxation, 5. Currency restrictions, including debasing 
the coin. Am I wrong in seeing a pattern here? All five causes of overpopulation are entirely man-made. All five stem from man's sinful attempt to lord it over other men. All five, in other words, are reducible to one, statism. Runaway population explosions are caused by runaway state controls over the population. Now let us return to Ronald Sider's cure for overpopulation, foreign aid. As P.T. Bauer states, foreign and foreign aid promotes centralized and closely controlled economies. And closely controlled economies produce overpopulation. There is a saying that some cures are as bad as the disease. But this is not the case here. Ronald Sider's cure is the disease. E.C. Passour, Jr. remarks that much of the cause of world hunger can be attributed to the destruction or reduction of private property rights of food producers in countries where the hunger problem is most acute. He continues, Numerous examples can be cited where governments have weakened or destroyed economic incentives by confiscating private land, forcing farmers to work on collectivized farms, instituting price controls on food, and other such measures. India provides a good example. Much of the food crisis in India can be attributed to actions taken by the Indian government affecting incentives of food producers. After her big electoral victory in 1972, Mrs. Gandhi's party reduced the amount of land that would be held by an adult male from 30 irrigated acres to 18 acres. In addition to the direct effect of land confiscation on incentives, the policy also affected the profitability of tractors and implements. The reduced acreage was not enough to support the machinery. The government also nationalized the wholesale grain trade, forcing farmers to sell their crops at fixed prices below the market level, whereas previously farmers were permitted to sell half of their grain to wholesalers at the higher market price. The impact of such actions on the quantity of food produced and marketed is predictable. Overpopulation is virtually a necessary result of socialism. The only way to prevent wastes and shortages is to allow the free market to work. God's law is the sole foundation for success in every area of life. If our world increasingly turns away from obedience to biblical principles and towards state worship, we are indeed inviting global disaster. We cannot remove the effect of the curse by violating God's laws even further. Overpopulation is famine, and famine is an aspect of divine judgment on deified states. If we would really work to abolish world hunger, we must work to establish universal obedience to the biblical faith. The biblical worldview embedded in personal, family, community, and state levels of society will produce stunning economic growth, and increased population will be an important factor in this growth. 
by the multifaceted division of labor, as men work at their individual callings, the ground will yield God's blessings abundantly. The prophets wrote constantly of the very real economic results of obedience. God promises that the obedient nation will not suffer from overpopulation. And I will make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate harmful beasts from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places around my hill a blessing. And I will cause showers to come down in their season. They will be showers of blessing. Also the tree of the field will yield its fruit and the earth will yield its increase, and they will be secure on their land. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I have broken the bars of their yoke and delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them. And they will no longer be a prey to the nations, and the beasts of the earth will not devour them, but they will live securely, and no one will make them afraid. And I will establish for them a renowned planting place, and they will not again be victims of famine in the land. Ezekiel thirty-four twenty-five through twenty-nine. Population density can be tre- can be a tremendous blessing. Overpopulation is a direct consequence of socialistic intervention. With typical blindness or deceit, whichever you prefer, socialists wail and mourn over their own creations, placing the blame on others and pleading for ever-increasing collectivism. Make no mistake, we are facing a global crisis, a blazing conflagration that threatens to destroy our civilization and our people. But Ronald Sider is asking us to fight fire fire with fuel. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.